This episode of the Morning Skate is brought to you by Laga Sports. Laga Sports specializes in making 100% custom, fully sublimated uniforms and apparel for a variety of sports, but they're known for the premium quality and creativity of hockey jerseys. They have a one-price, any-design policy. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a simple NHL style or if you're wanting to create jerseys that look like Rebel Fighters from Star Wars. The price will always be the same, and the design of possibilities are endless. Check them out at lagasports.com. That is lagasports.com. L-A-G-A-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Own your look, own the game. You'll lose 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Morning Skate. This is a big one here. Why? Because I don't know anything about the KHL, and we have one of the reporters slash, like, up-and-comers of the KHL on the podcast. This is really cool. Uh, Jillian Kemmerer nailed the name. No, I did. We talked before. I didn't want to sound like an idiot. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I, we have, like, other people on here, which is, like, pretty cool to talk to, but I'm not trying to, like, say I knew everything about hockey, but for the NHL, most of, most of the time, I, like, kind of know what's going on. This is a really cool interview because, like I said, I don't know anything about the KHL, and I think a lot of North Americans, Americans don't really know. We just know that it's, like, that the other league in Russia, like, the, the kind of the dark, shadowy place, like, from the Lion King, <laughs> that, like, people... That, like, wacky, that wacky league where they don't pay their players. That's what I get yeah. every time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we will jump into that. But before we do, let's do a little credential stuff. You work for the Sports Press, uh, so, whoop, Sports Express, cover the KHL and you also cover the Coonlin Red Star, correct? That's right. I'm so glad we went over these names before we started doing this. It makes me feel You're way better. You're nailing it left and right. I, I had to say Russian players' last names for like recaps and stuff all season, so I don't envy you at all. I know what this oh, is like. A lot of OVs, right? Isn't that like uh, kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah, they were and, in Detroit. When they had the Russian fight, they called them the Wizards of OV because I think that's all people could master, so I know. Didn't know that. See, I'm already learning something. We're not even like all right so i did a little research and by did a little research i messaged you and i said hey can you send me something so i don't sound like an idiot you did that i read one of your articles it was really really cool kind of gave me a little bit of background so growing up you were a philadelphia flyers fan correct that's right so, you're wearing your rangers hat i didn't know what i should say if you were like end the call or what oh no 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 no, no. I, i'm a <laughs> hockey fan through and through now if you were an islanders fan probably would have ended it right different there. Flyers, story yeah fair they're tough i can respect that uh so, grew, grew up a Flyers fan. Is there a reason why you're a Flyers fan? Is it because you were from the area? Parents? Like, what, how'd that come about? Grew up outside of Philly. Family across the board are Philadelphia sports fans. No one really watched hockey. And then one day, a classmate of mine, we were really young, like, I want to say elementary school, invited me to come with her dad to a Flyers game. And I think it maybe took 30 seconds, and I was just hooked. I mean, I always say this to people, and they think I'm crazy, but you know the smell of the ice when you walk into oh, the arena? That, like, absolutely. cold... 
it, from that minute, it was like a spiritual calling. I was in, I was in for the long haul, and you know, unfortunately for me, I was baptized into Philadelphia, which hasn't paid out. <laughs> but in general, cool, storied club, got really into it. So they were really the ones that that brought me in. But my family is big time Philadelphia sports fans. You don't want to know what happened in this house when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I. I already know you're a legitimate hockey fan because you mentioned the smell of an ice rink. And like, if you play <laughs> hockey or you like hockey, like there is that one smell. And like, whether it be you play summer hockey, winter hockey, like during the week, you kind of look forward to going to the rink. You get that smell. You hear the skates on the ice and you're like, you want to know what? Not everything's bad in the world right now. And you finally, exactly. you know, right. Okay. So as a Flyers fan, that's back when they had Lindros. What was it? The, the uh, Legion of Doom or something like that. And yeah, Lindros, that's right. Those. So did you like the Flyers because of the style of play that they played? Or is it in, on top of that being from the area? Or what, who was like your favorite player? I didn't choose the Flyers. The Flyers chose me. That's sort of how I, I approach NHL fandom. Um, it wasn't the style of play. I had never watched hockey live before. I'd never watched it on TV until the first time that I went to Philly. So it, I think I sort of fell into it. Um, and maybe if I had taken some time and done a little bit of homework, I might have chosen someone else. But here I was. Um, They were, you know, they always have that legacy of being a super physical team. And some of becoming a fan of the Flyers is literally becoming a Flyers fan and what that entails. Just everybody hates you. You don't care. The the jail underneath the the stadiums in Philadelphia, that whole thing. So I don't know. I kind of got sucked into the culture of it. As I got older, I think my allegiances kind of started to branch out because I started to become more interested in the style of play. But that first blush, it was these people are wild. They're super mean. They're even mean to each other. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And that's that's kind of like the thing about the Flyers. And that's why I respect the Flyers, because you guys don't really, like, pretend that you're something that you're not. Like, you are the Philadelphia Flyers fans. Like, you like the Philadelphia Flyers. We, we expect the exact same style from the players and the fans pretty much every time the Flyers are on the ice. Something to respect. Now, and what I just read that here, rage room in the stadium. Did you, hear, oh, did you read about yeah. that? Did that come out today, right? It came out today. You can go and slash televisions in the flyer. I mean, how could you not love a team that would put that in there? And can you imagine how the crime rate's going to go down? I really think it was a very forward-thinking movement for the Flyers. Right. Well, the in Philly are like, no, it's a perfect <laughs> family atmosphere. Let me bring the kid to the game. And then, like, the kid goes and just beats the shit out of the television. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I want to know if Wayne Simmons goes there after the game tonight because it's his first return as, you know, an opposing team member. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And also, uh, it's not really live right now, by the way. It's like 7-12, so I don't know if puck drops happened yet. Is Wayne Simmons getting booed tonight, do you think? Oh, I don't know. It's Philly. So, yeah, he's probably getting booed, although they loved him. (laughs) They loved him. Every once in a while, an ex-flyer gets a pass, and if anyone's going to get it, do I even want to make this prediction? I would say it's him, but you never know. It's Philadelphia. They booed Santa Claus. They booed Santa Claus. Yeah, I would think that that he gets a pass, but again, you're right. It's Philly. So in my reading, this is one thing I thought was very interesting. Grew up a Flyers fan, all that. In 97, they played the Red Wings in the playoffs, and they lost. And oh, if I'm, I'm a Rangers fan, so if any team beats the Rangers, those are the number that, those are the people that I cannot stand to hate the most, like whatever. You ended up taking a shine to the Red Wings, and to tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, man. So when the Flyers lost, they didn't just lose in the Stanley Cup final. They were swept. They yep. were swept. And I remember crying so hard that I got a nosebleed. And my parents were like, 
hockey is done in this house. It's done. <laughs> and I, I, honest to God, only up until yesterday, I didn't tell this story to anyone, but I was, I was rereading. I love Ken Dryden's book, The Game, and Bill Simmons wrote the foreword. And he writes that I think it was back in 79, he had a nosebleed all over his parents' couch, crying over the Bruins, losing to the Montreal Canadiens. And I was like, oh my God, someone else cried blood. This is not a ridiculous thing. You know, so I, I now tell this story with like absolutely no pride whatsoever. I just tell it. Um, but I was devastated. And what really devastated me was that the Detroit Red Wings had these five guys with these unpronounceable last names that I knew nothing about up until that point who were just so damn spectacular. And I couldn't take my eyes off of them. And, you know, we think of 90s hockey. It was a lot of like dump the puck and forecheck, dump the puck and forecheck. But these guys had speed, they had control, their passing game was unbelievable. I mean, it, no look passes, they had a sixth sense for where one another was on the ice, which is just something ingrained in that Soviet hockey system, that dazzling accuracy. And so I couldn't get enough of it and I couldn't stop watching them. And as time went on, I was so angry and that anger just kind of melted into an obsession. And then all of a sudden I needed to know everything about the Soviet hockey system and what bred these, this group of guys who come over. And it wasn't until much later that I realized how difficult their movement into the NHL was the defections that they had to stage. I mean, some of the crazy things that Keith gave wrote about in his amazing book, the Russian five, which if you haven't read it is such an unbelievable read. It feels like a James Bond film. And so the more I watched these guys, the more I learned their stories, the more interested I not only became in them, but the more interested I became in Russia. And I actually was only a couple classes short of a Russian history minor in college and then wound up not only going there as a tourist a bunch of times, but then ultimately moving there and pivoting my career toward understanding more of Russian hockey. So Sergei Fedorov like came to the NHL to be a dazzling player, but he actually wound up changing the whole course of my life, which is such an, an interesting, an interesting ending to what was a really sad story of me bleeding on like some June Saturday back in the nineties. So I think a couple things here. I think like, like years down the road, when you write your own book, Cry Crying Blood has to be the title of this thing. Like a hundred percent. Completely. Second thing you talked about, like Russian players leaving Russia, coming over here. Did you ever get a chance to watch that like YouTube video of Alex Mogilny? It's like a, I think it's like a twenty-five minute, half-hour thing on YouTube. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see it. If you haven't, you got to check it out. And it breaks down the entire thing that Mogilny went through. And I remember it was sometime last year. I like watched it, and I kind of got that same thing that you were talking about. Where it was like. Ooh, this is like very interesting. Would love to know more about this. <laughs> this guy's like went through is just not stuff that like a kid who grows up in like the sticks of upstate New York would ever even think about going through. Well, um, Vladimir Konstantinov, I'm pretty sure he was the one. They faked an inoperable sarcoma because he was actually in the Russian army. So his defection was probably the worst to stage to bring him over for quote unquote medical treatment. And that's how they got him over. I mean, they were showing up and they were showing these guys duffel bags full of cash. You can't make it up. It's unreal. And the documentary that they did on the back of that book, The Russian Five, is really well made. It's a total tearjerker. It's just an unbelievable story. Like I'm so glad I didn't know this when I was a teenager because I was already like bad enough with the obsession. Yeah. I think this would have set me over the edge, but the more I learn about it and the braver you realize they had to be. And I mean, good on the Red Wings organization for taking that first step. It changed the course of the NHL forever. And I'm, I'm so grateful that it did. No, hundred percent. And uh, it's just crazy. It kind of gives you chills. Like when you really think about it. 
But so you graduated from Columbia in 2018. Not a big deal. Like super smart. I get it. It was, it was um, a little longer ago than 2018, but thank you. <laughs> oh, that one's on me. I've, oh, you, you graduated from Columbia and then in 2018 you went to Russia. Yes, that's right. Okay. I, I missed a comma there. Oh, no, please. If, if everyone thinks I graduated <laughs> in 18, I would be flattered. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So <laughs> you went back to Russia. You moved there. I just want to know, like, what was going through your mind when you had to pack up all your stuff and go all the way to Russia? Like, do you have family there? Like, did you go there really not knowing anybody? I have absolutely no family there. I didn't speak a word of Russian before I left. Like, I, I was taking just some basic classes. It was it was a big move. Um, when I told, when I, I was leaving a full-time broadcast job in New York, I was a financial journalist on Asset TV. And when we were explaining to people where I was going, they were like, you're moving to Russia. It was just the reaction was so outrageous. People were just like, okay, if, if she's not working for the CIA, then, you know, honest to God, what, what the hell is she doing? So I was, I was lucky. I was there on a fellowship that's granted to a couple of Americans, a couple of Brits and a couple of Germans every year. So I was in this class of people um, who a lot, most of them were fluent in Russian and are just absolutely unbelievable guides to Russia, had lived there or studied there before. So I was there with this group of expats that really took care of me and helped me along because the first day I was there, I cried my eyes out in the supermarket because I walked in and realized I couldn't read any of the labels. And it was the first time it hit me that I had moved there and couldn't buy yogurt. And, and then I went up to the woman and she asked me if I needed a bag. And I was like, don't talk to me. I don't understand anything you're saying. And then just sobbed. So I got through that. I got through the worst of it. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty wild transition. And I was not I think I had been to Russia once in the winter, but I, that was what I was really most worried about was going to spend the Russian winter unbroken there, which is just an animal in and of itself. Yeah. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because when I think Russia, I just think really cold, like a lot of snow and like dark. Like, what can you tell us about Russia that like our listeners, like if you've never been to Russia, I guess you don't really know what it's like. Like, what is Russia like? What would you compare to? Is it anything like the United States, like city wise, like what is Russia like? Um, well, very cold and dark are, are a good start. In the winter, that's definitely true. Um, I think there was, it wasn't this past winter, but the winter before, there were only 10 minutes of sunlight the whole winter. So, And people literally ran outside when the sun came out and like stood there in its glory. So it is dark, it is cold, but... The image that I think everyone has of Russia is is pretty skewed because Moscow and St. Petersburg are some of the most incredible imperial cities that I've ever been to in my life. I mean, the Kremlin, Red Square, the Winter Palace, they're colorful, they're gorgeous, they're they're everything that you could imagine a fairy tale would look like. And then you have mixed in, especially in Moscow, some of that Soviet kind of Gotham architecture, some of the brutal concrete stuff that everyone hates. But in general, these are really spectacular cities. The Metro. So I don't know if you've lived in New York. I'm looking at your New York Rangers cap or if that's where you're, you're calling me so from. I'm, so I'm in upstate New York. So I have zero city skills at all. Like I grew up, <laughs> we have land. My mom has a horse. Like I have, I'm not a city boy whatsoever. I'm way more country city. Yeah. That's awesome. So New York City subway, if you've lived in New York, it's the bane of everyone's existence. It's dirty, it's disgusting, it doesn't work, it's crowded. 
Moscow, which everyone has a vision of being just the Wild West, has a subway system that is literally a work of art. Grand chandeliers, uh, statues, murals, mosaics, and it runs, I never once, not once, and I was there during the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, I never once experienced a breakdown or a delay on the Moscow Metro. So as far as living there, I mean, especially with all the investment that they did around the World Cup, they've expanded the sidewalks, they've built new parks, it's it's so much more a livable city, in my opinion, than New York has ever been. Like, I love New York. Obviously, the English language thing is, is helpful in navigating and living your daily life. In Russia, it's a little bit harder. But as far as the actual livability of the city, I found Moscow to be just mind-blowing. And it's, I always encourage, I get a lot of weird messages on Twitter where people are like, hey, you lived in Russia. What was that like? I kind of want to go, but I'm scared. Like, just go. It's a place you don't understand and you can't fathom no matter how many times you go, but you'll understand more of why it's so special if you're on the ground. And it, it really is a, an incredible place. And you know what? And hearing that from you, it makes me feel so much like better about everything. Cause you're right. Like living in the States, if you've never been to Russia, like you honestly just think that it's like this place that you would just absolutely never even think about going through. And you're telling us it's this beautiful place with like really nice subways that don't break down and it's colorful and it's beautiful. Other than the 10 minutes of sunlight, that's something I could probably handle. So yeah, maybe well, I jump shit yeah. go over a little bit. Disclaimer, I mean, of course, the political situation aside, and there there definitely are some issues there. But yeah, I think the way that Russia is always portrayed in movies and stuff and in, in, on TV in the US is this kind of industrial wasteland. And it's yeah. so much more than that. And I travel a lot in Russia with the KHL or even independently. I went to Siberia, I went to Lake Baikal. The nature, the just the vastness of it is mind blowing. Like it's an incredible place. I highly, highly, highly recommend. I'll plan your whole trip. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, one last question, really, about the whole Russia situation before we kind of get into hockey. So, the United States, I think it's primarily involved with like the NFL, uh, MLB, NBA. Canada is hockey, hockey, hockey. What is it like in ter- in terms of being like a sports fan in Russia? Is it is it just hockey all the time? Is that uh, that's my assumption? I don't really know if there's any other sports over there that they play regularly, but it's shocking. Um... I would say that soccer, football is probably the number one. Um, They have their own Premier League and they also follow European very rigorously. Um, And hosting the World Cup was a big tailwind for Russian soccer because if you watch, um, Russia actually eliminated Spain on penalty kicks, which was an unbelievable moment. I was in Luzhniki when it happened. I mean, Russians themselves were shocked by it. So they are they are largely football fans like the rest of Europe. Um, And then hockey, I would say, is second. But. I think it kind of varies city by city. You do get sold out crowds in Moscow in places like Novosibirsk, the team Sibir, fiercely supported. Their mascot is a snowman with a set of girls in his mouth. He's terrifying. I've never seen anything like (laughs) it. Like terrifying. And they're fiercely supported. So you do get pretty good turnout to games, but capacity is smaller. You know, you have to, to imagine that Hockey is probably not what it was in Soviet times in terms of just mass adoration. There's also less international hockey focus these days, but the better the Russian national team plays, I've noticed, um, especially coming off of the Olympic win, the more fiercely they're supported. It's not surprising when they do well, they're supported heavily. And Russia invested a lot in trying to restore some of that former glory, especially in hockey. And it's paid off. And I've seen more and more support for their national team. Like for example, when they were playing the U S at the world championships, 
big time news and really kind of fiercely covered. So I think that that Russia is less of a hockey watching nation than you might expect, but they also still consume it and they do love the NHL, lest we forget. Okay. So I would have thought it was hockey and nothing else. So again, learning more things at, at minute by minute. Um, now we're going to kind of jump into the KHL. This is got uh, a realm that I've never really been a part of, I guess. So few questions that kind of immediately like came to me. So the NHL playing surface is a lot smaller than the playing surfaces overseas. Uh, because it's smaller, there's less time. There, there's more collisions. It's, it's more physical game. With the KHL, because of that bigger sheet, the game would be more finesse. Is it, we all watch Olympic hockey. Is it, is it similar to that type of style where it's like free-flowing, tic-tac-toe, and not as physical as the NHL, I'd say? So interestingly at the KHL, they play on three different ice sizes um, and they are normalizing. They are all going to conform to the North American standard because the IIHF is saying that world junior championships have to conform to North American standards. So all of these rinks are going to be standardized and they're sort of slowly ticking up that way. I want to say by 2022 or a little after you'll see normalization across the KHL. So I think in meters, U.S. is 26 by 61 and then in Russia, you have 26 by 60, 28 by 60, 30 by 60. So that's a pretty big difference. I would say the place that you always hear it talked about most when it comes to coaching players is with the goaltenders because they have to manage their angles differently depending on the venue they're in. Um, St. Petersburg plays on something that's kind of close to U.S. standards. Um, Moscow plays in that middle bracket. And then Kunlun, for example, plays on, on the biggest sheet. Um, definitely it controls speed and physicality. You can more easily evade a defender on a bigger sheet of ice. Um, and I think when you see these guys coming over, they have to think a little bit about, you know, the increasingly physical style of play because someone is only ever a few strides behind you. And that's, yeah. that's an adjustment for sure. But because the sizes are different across the K, the adjustment isn't as big as it seems. Um, and I, I never really worry about great performers in, in the KHL for that reason coming over. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly something to manage. I was talking to Dusty Emu, who is the LA Kings goaltending coach, who's now with Kunlun Red Star. And I was saying to him, how do you get these guys to manage angles differently? And he said to me, he goes, I don't want to say it this way, but it, it kind of feels like a mind over matter approach that, you know, when you go in, you get a feel for it on a couple of practices and these goaltenders are able to, to make the change. But I think it's overall good for the sport and good for the KHL that they're going to go down to the North American size because it is a faster game. And generally people think it's more fun to watch. So that's crazy to me that they play on three different types of rinks. Does that make home ice that much more, like important, I would I would think like if you have Kunlin that plays on a bigger sheet compared to a team that plays on a smaller sheet, do you think strategy kind of goes into those types of games where you're on a smaller ice sheet, maybe you get the puck even with a bigger ice sheet, you have a little bit more time to hang on to the puck? It's a great question. I think it it probably does play in a bit. Um, I've never seen a hugely material difference following Kunlin specifically. It actually is an interesting question that should be put to the statisticians. I would love to know, and I think. Someone once tracked this and I have to look back at it. But the thing with the KHL where I always think no one's paying enough attention to it, what's causing some of the differential in play, it has more to do with the length of the road trips, the changing time zones and the jet lag and how long these guys go on the road. Um, every team will yes you to death that they have you know great sleep schedules and they have it down pat. But Kunlun Red Star's road trip, this past one that they just came back from, spanned 17 thousand kilometers 17,000 kilometers 
they were changing time zones because China is in one time zone. There are places that are further east in Russia that are further than China. Then they were playing in Moscow, which is further west and, and closer to European time zones. I was watching their game this morning against Nizhnykomsk Neftikimik, and this team is not too far from them in the standings, generally not a powerhouse. Kumlin hits two power play goals early, and it's almost like watching a toy power down. I can literally see the wind coming out of their skates um, going into the second half, really that third period, and then it came down to their goaltender being a hero. And I've seen this with them a few times, and I don't think it's about a lack of conditioning. These guys are conditioned, and especially the Russian teams. My God, they get skated to death in preseason. I know that that's not the case. So I think that plays more in, in my just kind of qualitative experience as an onlooker, that seems to, pay, to play more of a role in how you see teams performing differently across the K. Now, is the Red Star, like, their schedule, because they're so much farther away from everybody else, is their schedule a little bit different than everybody else's? Like, do they try to help those guys out a little bit instead of having them fly all over the place all the time? Or is, that, is it, you know, you're in the league and that's just one thing you got to deal with? Generally speaking, the K is not super uh, helpful in this respect. One thing that they do do is that sometimes when teams come to play Kumlin, they play a doubleheader, um, yeah. which is helpful, um, certainly helpful. Uh, Kumlin, they, they put in the ice time and, and the other, or excuse me, the flight time. The other thing that is really kind of funny to note is that there's a team that plays in the East called Avangard Omsk. Omsk is a city in Siberia. Avangard's stadium, which was donated to them, donated by Roman Abramovich, the big time soccer investor, energy guy, that stadium was deemed unfit to play in due to structural reasons like two seasons ago. And now they're playing in the outskirts of Moscow. I have my own theory on all of this and they claim <laughs> that they're building a new arena. You know, it's just kind of ironic that the, the top billing for some of the energy companies are in Moscow and St. Petersburg. And it's just a much shorter trip for a Moscow executive than flying to Omsk to watch their favorite hockey team. I don't know. What do I know? Um, but it's interesting. So they're playing in Balashiko, which means that when they have to see this team that's traditionally in the Eastern Conference, they're actually going to Moscow to play them, which makes a bit of a difference in how the KHL schedule is structured. It's more complicated. So, you know, I think that Kunlin, unfortunately, doesn't have uh, a lot of say in how they're scheduled. They just kind of have to make do. Oh, okay. Well, I guess there's no taxes on getting paid, so you just kind of got to suck it up. Uh, <laughs> one other question in terms of, like, the style of play. Fighting the NHL has dropped significantly over the last however many years, uh, whether it be because you have these young kids going up and they're flying and, and the older guys, the goons can't keep up all this stuff because of, like, in the KHL, is it, it's not as physical, but do you still see fighting the KHL or is that just pretty much non-existent? This is such a funny question because Kunlin Red Star recently signed Garrett Hunt, who is the ECHL's penalty minutes record holder. And I interviewed him right at the start of the season. And he gave me this great interview where he's like, no one's messing with China anymore. Like, we're going to defend ourselves. Game one comes out, fights this huge Russian guy on Salavat Yulayev. Now, granted, you know, it, it was sort of, it kind of came about through the flow of play. He, he winds up in this fight. He gets a bit of crap in the Russian press. The Russian press does not generally like fighting. And so he definitely took maybe a bit more flack for it in Russia than he would anywhere else. They do adhere to more of a European style where fighting isn't as common. But, you know, in preseason, he was playing some game in Beijing and he actually took off his helmet and beat a guy with it. And that really set them off. Like that was the end of Garrett Hunt in the Russian press. So 
You definitely see less with Garrett Hunt in the mix. You might see more. Um, and you do get your occasional big-time brawls. I mean, there was one, I think it was Vitiaz versus Avangard. This was years ago, where literally the whole bench got involved. Everybody was taken off the ice, and that was the end of it. So there were times in the KHL where this has been the case, um, but we've definitely seen less of it. And I think Hunt's introduction into the mix is just going to be interesting for that reason. <laughs> All right. Um Ex-NHLers, I'm pretty sure Pavel Bory and Alexei Kovalev are still involved with the KHL or Russian hockey. Am I right about that? Oh, Alexei Kovalev is the assistant coach of Kunlin Red Star, actually. Um, okay, so, so tell, me, tell me about this guy, because he is a legend. He's a Rangers legend, I know. So Alexei Kovalev, 94 Stanley Cup champion. He's obviously an Olympic champion, too. He was managed, so he had a very long NHL career and then wound up managing in Switzerland for a little bit. And he signed a player contract during that time because they they had some kind of foreign player restriction and they needed him to get on the ice, and he did. So he comes to Kuhlman Red Star to make his coaching debut, and he's the assistant coach. Um, and he's been the assistant coach now under UC Tapala, a Finnish coach who was fired late last season. And now he's under Kurt Frazier, who used to be the head coach of the Atlanta Thrashers, he was at the Dallas Stars, etc. So Kovalev, what's so interesting about him is that he's still in playing shape. He's 46 years old and he still has the hands and the skills that everyone, you know, absolutely adored about him when he was in the NHL. So he can get out onto the ice and show these guys what he's talking about. Like, I remember watching him run a drill with a guy named Veli Matisavinainen who's on the world championship Finnish team. Um, it was playing for Kunlin last season. He was scratched with a, a hand injury. And Kovalev put him through his paces on a skating drill. Kovalev's all about conserving energy, skating more efficiently. So he sets up this kind of obstacle course. And Velimanti Sabinainen is not scratched in his legs. He has a broken hand. And he yeah. goes through this course, and he is literally killed over. And this is a guy in prime of playing career, super well-conditioned. Yeah. And he comes over to me, and he comes over to me to, like, talk to me so that way he can get out of doing another round of it. <laughs> Kovalev to demonstrate, goes straight through this obstacle course, probably two, three times, skates over to me, is talking at completely normal level, not even panting. Like, just goes to show you the incredible skill that this man still has. And in fact, Kuhnland got hit with a sea of injuries last season, absolutely unprecedented. And I think at one point there were about 10 guys out. They were playing with three lines, actually. I remember Brandon Yip talking about that. It was horrible. It was absolutely insane. Kovalev almost signed a player contract to get back on the ice for Kumlin at the age of 45. He would have been 45 at the time. Uh, and did you imagine? This, it was this close. And I think ultimately management kind of squashed it. He was telling me this uh, in an interview I did with him earlier last season. But if he had, I just, it would have been an unbelievable moment. You know, it just seeing him out on the ice again. And I'm telling you, he could play. He probably could still play. He said he didn't bring his stuff this season. Uh, last season he did, but this season he didn't. But I, I don't know. Kovalev had probably a Yaramir Yager level of playing years left in him. It's a shame, but he's a great coach. The players love being coached by him. And I think it's only a matter of time before he comes back to the NHL. He, the talent that that guy has, like, have you ever seen, like, those videos of, like, a quarterback throwing a football out of the stadium and, like, it's clearly fake? Like, do you remember, like, those old Powerade commercials where it was, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. the soccer kicked the ball a mile? And then you go on YouTube and, you, like, you look up Alexei Kovalev, like, uh, videos, and he'd be doing things that you would think that would be in, like, those, oh, this isn't really real kind of videos, except for he was actually doing it. Whether it's, like, a one-hand backhand. I mean, his backhand's stronger than any shot I've ever taken in my entire life. It's ridiculous. And it's unreal. big Kovalev guy. That's cool that you get to hang out. Is he a like cool guy, nice guy? 
Oh my God, he's the nicest. One time we actually, we left practice and escaped because the Kunlun um, Stadium in Beijing where they're back to right now is really far out of the city. Um, it's it's not out, out, but it's on the outskirts about 45 minutes from Tiananmen Square. And one day after we were both just looking at each other, we're like, we gotta get out of here. So we walked around the Forbidden City for a little while in Beijing. And I just was talking to him about, you know, how he grew up in his career. and. He came from an incredible background, you know, a child that was kind of shipped off to Moscow, 12 or 13 years old, living there by himself, kind of assuring his parents he was okay, comes to the NHL and just makes such a name for himself. He is one of the most approachable, funny guys. And he has this sort of, I think, tag to him because everyone called him the Enigma when he was playing. It's a, it's a nickname he hates. Yeah. Um, that And a lot of it had to do with, is he going to show up? Isn't he going to show up? This question of, of whether or not that he was going to yeah. be consistent. Um, but some tagged it to his personality too, because, you know, he plays the saxophone, he flies planes, whatever else. And I can see in the press or in the public eye where that would come into play. But when he's in that locker room, he's one of the most generous coaches I've experienced firsthand. He genuinely wants to give the skills and the things he's developed and studied because he studied speed skaters, figure skaters, and he wants to give that to the next generation of hockey players. And that's really special because someone who is that skilled could have ego and say, I want to hold on to this oh. for me. Yeah. You know, and I, I asked him why he didn't go for the Art Ross. And he said to me when I was a kid growing up, you know, it was all about individual effort. But once I got into the NHL, it was how can we win, we win this as a team? We, we're a family. And, and that's really telling of what he's like off the ice. No, that's really cool because I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I wouldn't be one of those guys. I'd be like, oh, I have all the talent in the world. Don't even worry about it. Don't talk. I would 100% be like that because when you're that good, totally. like, you can't feel like that. You know what I mean? And he's just, yeah. that's really cool to hear. Um. Now we're going to kind of dive into a little bit more KHL kind of questions. This one can be really quick, but the United States has Matthews and, and Kane and, you know, Canada has McDavid and Crosby. Other than Ovechkin, like what, what are a couple NHL players that you think like the Russian fans look up to that we wouldn't normally like think? That Russian fans look up to. Um, I mean, like as an ambassador sort of, because I know Ovechkin's huge over there. Cause he, you know, he won a cup. He's a great eight. He's arguably one of the best, if not the best goal scorer of all time. Like, are there other Russian players that, like, people over there really, really like that, like, we wouldn't normally think? I mean, I think Artemi Panarin is an interesting case because he is very, very beloved. He is very popular. Um, but he came out and and was one of the only athletes, I think the only athlete I've certainly ever heard, who absolutely blasted Putin uh, for yeah, some right of his before, political right after decisions. after the Rangers. It was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, we've literally had you for five minutes, and you're going to start doing this stuff? Are you kidding I me? I know. Unbelievable. And, and in the context of U.S. athletes, that's not super shocking. A lot of athletes also double as activists. It's integral to their public forum and presence. But with yeah. Artemi Panarin, that is unheard of. I mean, yeah. all of these guys come out in droves for Putin's birthday, wishing him a happy birthday and, and celebrating him because a lot of Russian athletes wind up back in government. Slava Fetisov, Detroit Red Wings, was in the Duma. I think he still is involved in government. You know, a lot of these guys go back. Um, but Artemi Panarin, he was like, I'm going to drop this bomb and I'm going to leave. So He's a really interesting case. I don't necessarily know that it soured him in the eyes of fans, but it definitely would have soured him in the eyes of some um, because you know Putin is still a very controversial figure there. Um, Vasilevsky gets a fair amount of attention um, for sure. I'm trying to think who else. And Ilya Kovalchuk. When Ilya Kovalchuk had that really rough go in L.A. this past season, 
um, a lot of fans were furious about it, not only in LA, but also in Russia, this idea that he was being mismanaged, you know, this great creative player who's coming to the end of his time. We want to see him out on the ice. That definitely caused some controversy. And I remember I interviewed a couple of LA Kings reporters about this because Russian fans didn't understand what was going on with him. And he played at Scott. He went back to play in St. Petersburg. He, he won the Gagarin Cup with Scott. So he's very beloved and, and in recent memory for a lot of Russian fans. So that was a big deal last season. It'll be interesting to see what happens this season. He's already looking pretty good. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to be a little bit selfish because I'm a Rangers fan and we have some Russian prospects. And I just wanted a little <laughs> back about our boys. Uh, Vitaly Kratsov, Igor Shashirkin, and Igor Rykov. All three of these players play in the KHL. All three of these players now are over in North America. Uh, I think they're all in Hartford. Uh, can you tell me anything about these players? And one of the things that just happened, Vitaly Kratsov was healthy scratch after a second game. The Rangers haven't had a game for, I mean, I think last Saturday. So there's been a lot of downtime, a lot of time for people to complain and freak oh out. Oh, my God. And, and, and boy, have they. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, of these three players... What did you see from these guys when they were over there? And should I be worried about my boy Vitaly? Because I love Vitaly. I love Vitaly. Um, I said this once, and I'm going to say it again. And preseason not only bolstered this, I didn't change my mind at all. I said he was NHL ready from the day he landed. Um, this is a kid, okay, rookie of the year when he debuted in the KHL. And I don't know what happened in Hartford, and we can get into this, but when he won Rookie of the Year, he literally said, you guys probably shouldn't have given it to me because Ely Tolvanen did really well this season. So, I mean, here's this kind of, he's very smooth on the ice, but as far as personality goes, he strikes me as one of those people that is just so thrilled to be playing. And I got that sense at rookie camp for the Rangers. I have no reason to believe that that's not still the case. But you know, I think the one thing that I hear a lot about Kravtsov, and by the way, drafted higher than Alexei Kovalev, which absolutely blows my mind to think about, is that people say Tractor Chelyabinsk is not a super competitive team in the KHL. So are we looking at, you know, a guy who produced in spite of that or a big fish in a small pond? It's hard to say, but if you if you kind of zoom out and you look at him in comparison to the other under-20s in the KHL, he led them in goals, for sure. And then when you look at him even further zoomed out, how he performed for Russia on the international stage, that was a team stacked with NHL prospects. And again, he was an absolute standout player. So I think Kravtsov is tried and tested. Now, what's happening in Hartford upsets me because one Rangers Twitter is super bored. So they just won't let it go. And I think if the Rangers were playing, like we wouldn't be having this. They won't but, let it go. And, and nobody's wrong. I don't know if you've noticed that too, but like everybody's, nobody's wrong. Right nobody's ever wrong. And every single okay. person on Rangers Twitter could run the Rangers way better than Gorton and all those guys too. Also, I didn't know if you knew that or not, but yeah. I Well, I mean, there was this one guy with 20 <laughs> followers who cursed me out recently. And I was like, I can't believe that you haven't been tapped for general manager. I mean, you and everybody <laughs> else. Crazy, crazy. <sighs> Unbelievable. So the Rangers fans really need a game. I Like if I see one more gif of someone grasping for air as they wait for the Rangers <laughs> to play, I think I'm going to kill myself. But Quinn, you know, I, Quinn, I have, I have my own questions about Hartford and its development of players, but Quinn didn't give us a whole lot to work with. He said that, I think that the general gist was that Kravtsov violated some non-negotiable and he didn't have a standout first game, but to be scratched that early was surprising to me. And everyone said, well, you know, he goes to Hartford and the whole point was that Hartford was playing more in this time frame, So it was, he was going to get experience and now he's scratched. Well, okay, my my personal opinion on this is 
if he was scratched for a qualitative reason, something behavioral, maybe a homesickness, or I, I don't know, if he was scratched for some form of discomfort, I would actually prefer him in the Rangers locker room than in Hartford because the Rangers locker room is filled with Russians and Russians do well in packs. I want him in the shadow of Artemi Panarin. I want him speaking Russian with a group of people that he's comfortable with. And it's not even just the players. Like, if you look at the the translators, Sergei Nemchinov's daughter is Artemi Panarin's translator. You have Russians surrounding that locker room. I want him to be comfortable because if he had come to preseason and he had looked like crap and we would have said, oh my God, look at this adjustment from the KHL to the NHL, that's one story. But if this is a kid that's just going through a tough transition, I think personally he's better off going through that tough transition with the Rangers in Madison Square Garden. Now, granted, if he's going to get a lot more playing time and this was just a blip, and by the time we publish it might be, great. But if he gets healthy scratched again and it's not about his you know, technical performance, then I'm going to start to ask myself what's the point because I think this is a kid who could have been on the NHL bench night one. Yeah, no, and I I, I think I agree with that. I, I, I definitely agree with the whole – Russians are better in packs thing. Like I remember one of the preseason games after the game, you could, they had like the camera on the ice and everybody was like kind of celebrating and you saw him go over with Panera and I was like, Oh, that is something I really like to see going on right there. Yeah. At the time, it's it's two games into the year. And if, and if this is something like, it, I don't, you can't really speculate on what happened, but if it's something that's really stupid, if they scratch him for one game, just to nip that in the bud really quick, like, Hey buddy, like, we're over here now. Like everything's going to be okay, but you need to kind of learn from this mistake, get it out of the way early. Like, you know what? Cause if let's say it's something that turned into a bigger issue, it's rather to get that done now rather than later. And I don't know, they traded to Mesnikov. So there's a roster spot open. I think they said that they weren't uh, really thinking about calling people up. He'll be on the Rangers this year without a doubt. He has way too much talent. Like, and if I agree with you, if it was something like some kind of maybe a little bit of an ego stroke, you know, I was play, I was getting top billing in the K and now here I am in Hartford great scratch him teach him early let's see yeah. what happens by the time we publish it could be that he's played a couple of games and he's doing fine and that's great um i'd be interested to hear more about this i don't know if we'll ever know more about what fueled this decision but i think for the mere insanity that it caused alone i sort of want to smack quinn for this one <laughs> okay fair enough and uh, really really quick uh, igor shesterkin now mm. unreal prospect right you look at his numbers they're sweet but you also kind of have to look at the team that he was on, and the team that he was on was they were the best in the KHL, if not one of the best in the KHL. So, how much is that the team around him, or is that more him? The team around him is certainly important in this case, and Scott is one of the strongest teams in the league. But even in light of a strong team, if you look at the KHL of goaltenders that played 50 games, his goals against average was 1.68. That's best in league history, and he is a young goaltender and he got serious ice time if you looked at the last season he played he think he was 111 and again 28 games that's a league best so this kid is the top of the top he's not languishing around five or six he's number one in khl history in that respect so i think you can definitely you don't have to discount too heavily how he performed scott you know is a great team he had great training around him to some extent that forced him to rise because as a rookie in scott the likelihood that you're going to get a lot of ice time is low unless you can perform, and and he certainly did. Okay. All right, that's good to know. I, I kind of see him. I mean, you have Georgia, who's also, like, a really, really good goalie, so it's kind of like yeah. a talk. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Rangers do that, especially come the deadline. I think you could see maybe Alex getting shipped out, but 
We'll wait and see. One other Russian that came over. He came over the playoffs last year. I don't think he played for Vegas. He got traded to the Devils, Nikita Gusev. Now, this kid. Oh, yes. Not even a kid. That's that's the funny thing about it. You get, like, these new Russians, you automatically think that they're young. He's 27 years old, and he is electric. What can we expect to see from him for the uh, Devils this year? So Nikita Gusev played with Kucherov, and they played together in CSKA, which is Moscow, the Moscow team that just won the Gagarin Cup. Um, they played together in, I believe it was the VHL team. It was, you know, one of the junior teams. And he outperformed Kucherov on a per-game basis, which is really important to think about. Is he going to be the, you know, the equivalent? And I think a lot of the comparisons tend to be to Artemi Panarin. I don't know. But the one thing that you always hear about him from people that played against him, and which was immediately obvious to me, not only in the KHL, but also in the couple of games he's played here, is that he's super creative and he's a great passer, an absolutely fantastic passer. He has great vision. He has a good shot. I mean, I think he is going to be unbelievable. I said this to a couple of friends of mine who were like, where's he going to land? I don't know about the Devils. And I said, if he lands at the Devils, you are going to be so lucky. And I think we're already starting to see that. He is a good player. I don't know who he's going to measure up to in the NHL. It's hard to say, but he's going to measure up to someone. And, and the comparisons that keep coming through are to Artemi Panarin. And, I mean, Artemi Panarin's a top-10 forward. You can't really ask for more. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good to hear Russia-wise, not good to hear Rangers-wise. but it is. I know. <laughs> um, let's get into the Red Stars team that you cover. Uh, Brandon Yip is their captain. He. Oh, yeah. He has something to do with this one uh, company that we work with, Company 39. They do like a, they break down the mental aspect of the game and stuff like that. And I saw that they kind of have a partnership going of some sorts. What can you tell us about Brandon Yip? Uh, I mean, former NHL player. I've heard nothing but great things about this guy. Like, is he one of the best of the KHL? Not in terms of just performance, but just like one of the best guys. Brandon Yip is gold. Um, you have to think about the, the circumstances he walked into at Kunlun Red Star. So here he is. He's the captain of a team that plays in China. Of course, he has Chinese heritage, but he had never stepped foot in China before he started playing there. And he's not just the captain of a locker room. He's the captain of a locker room that's building and often rebuilding from the ground up because they're brand new and they've gone through a number of coaching changes. The roster turnover is extremely high. There's just no way around it. And he is someone who leads by example night after night after night. Late last season, UC Tapala gets fired. He was a, a Finnish coach, extremely systematic, you know, just had, I think he was sacked with a number of injuries on that roster that probably were insurmountable for any coach, but particularly for him coming into the KHL for that season, it was tough. They get Kurt Frazier, who's NHL caliber, obviously a wonderful guy, another person that has a great reputation in terms of interpersonal skills. And Brandon Yip has to navigate this. And there were players who are no longer on the roster anymore, but last season were, that were not showing up, were phoning it in. You know, there were a number of, of question marks for me at the end of last season when I saw the number of guys that were scratched and Brandon Yip showed up every single night. He's an ambassador for that team. He's an ambassador for China. He's aiming to play for Team China. And this is complicated because unlike Kazakhstan, for example, that kind of quickly and easily naturalizes players to play for their team in China, citizenship is a sensitive topic. So we have to kind of wait and see who's going to wind up with a passport and playing for Team China in 22, which is Kunlun Red Star's mission is to train that Olympic team. Yeah. But he will be such an unbelievable ambassador for that squad and for hockey in China in general. He's a great guy, you know, great personality, doesn't take himself too seriously. But when it comes to leading a locker room through change, I don't know if anyone has had to deal with what this guy's had to deal with. And that's awesome to have that guy there, right? Because you have a team that's young that every year you're going to have new people come in and out. You kind of need that veteran guy, the guy 
not only just to be there, but who wants to be there. And it sounds like that's something that Brandon Yip totally brings to the table. It is. And playing in China is no joke. I mean, the, some of the things that they've had to go through, first of all, they haven't had a home for a couple of seasons. They were playing in Shanghai. It was an ice skating rink. They weren't really marketing it. So there were very few fans. It was not of KHL standard. They had to open their season in Shenzhen because it's the 70th anniversary of the founding of the modern People's Republic of China. So a lot of the arenas in Beijing were booked. They didn't want charter flights coming in and out of the airport during that time. So they're playing in Shenzhen, which is a subtropical city. They have to deal with the fact that there's tons of smoke coming up off the ice. The nets are dislodging. I mean, there's just basic silly things that you don't take into account when you think about hockey being brought to a new country. Not only just the players and the team and getting fans oriented, but getting you know the stadium experience up to par, et cetera. He has to deal with all of that on top of it. I mean, I remember hearing from someone that he was on a marketing call. I mean, maybe NHL captains are involved in these kinds of higher level decision making too, but I think no one would have to be more hands-on than someone like Brandon, and he handles it seamlessly. I mean, that's, that's great to hear. That, not shocking at all because the boys over at Company 39 are a good group of guys, so that, that makes tons of I sense. I saw their video. It was super slick. I saw that when he posted it. Yeah. Um, now we're talking about China, the whole market thing. So this recently just happened with the NBA in China. Pretty much just the relationship's over. Everybody's dropping out, all this stuff. Over the last couple of years, NHL has been sending teams over there. They really seem to be trying to grow the game over there. Have you seen this as the game started to grow a little bit more? And is this an opportunity for the NHL to kind of wiggle a little bit more further into it now that the NBA is kind of out? It's interesting. So I think that with the NHL, one of the things that was so great for NBA was obviously the rise of Yao Ming. Having a Chinese player that you can really hang your hat on as a fan and say, he represents us, that makes a big difference. And that's one of the reasons why Kunlun its central mission is to train up that 2022 Winter Olympic team because China is probably not realistically going to medal in men's ice hockey at home in Beijing. Mm -hmm. But if they were to best their neighbors, guys like Japan and South Korea that have actually put in some completely respectable performances in Olympic ice hockey, that would be a big deal. And it would be so interesting to see what the tailwind is off of that. That would be awesome. Can you imagine? And, And at home. Yeah. At home and filled on a squad with maybe some ex-NHL players that obviously the international media will be interested in, et cetera. So it could be a really big deal for them. Right now, the team itself, if we look at the support of the KHL team, in Shanghai, they weren't marketed because it was not their main home. They are, they do belong to Beijing. So I don't think we can look at that as an example. In Shenzhen, that's where the women's team plays, the Vanka Rays, which are a fantastic team. The, the Kunlun Red Star women's team almost won um, in North America when they were playing in that league, which of course is now disbanded. Now they're in the Russian women's league. They have people like Alex Carpenter, who was a U.S. Olympian, and Nora Rati, one of the best goaltenders in, in women's hockey history involved in that organization, they actually draw a good crowd. And in Shenzhen, they they drew a decent crowd at the Universiad Arena, which is a, a very, very big arena. And the men's team did well there too, because they already had that tailwind from women's hockey. I mean, where in the world can you say that it's women's hockey that brought the tailwind to men's? Yeah. So interesting. Um, in Beijing, they tend to sell out their arena. And I think that unfortunately, it is a smaller capacity arena than KHL standards. They're gonna have to move. But if they continue to do that and they continue to build, I can see hockey taking off in China, but it's not going to take off tomorrow. And I don't think it's going to take off next year either. And the Olympics are going to play an integral part in that. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to totally look forward to. Um, 
I think we're about the time where we're going to wrap it up. We've been on here for like 50 minutes. I've had a great time, learned tons of stuff. But I do have one last question for you. Uh, okay. That's just right. Who will win the Gagarin Cup? Did I get that? Gagarin. You're close. Oh, I, I had Gagarin. it at the uh, all right. Well, it's like it's Yuri Gagarin, by the way, was the first Russian cosmonaut in space. And so it's like that's why it's called that. That's the that's the background of this cup. So um, in general, in in the Russian Hockey League, it's it's been a, a toss up between Seiya Ska and Ska for the past few seasons. Now, there are three teams named Dinamo and there are two teams named Ska and Seiya Ska. Okay. So to explain this, Seiska is the Centralny Sportivny Klub Army, and then Ska is the Sportivny Klub Army. Ska is in St. Petersburg. Seiska Centralny Central is in Moscow. Is they both kind of backed by Putin. Did I hear that, that would, like last year or the year Putin, before? Everyone says that that Ska in St. Petersburg is Putin's team because that's the team that he's from St. Petersburg, and they fueled a lot of the Olympic team, etc. Um, it's where Kovalchuk went back and played. Um, so. It's usually a toss-up between those two. Um, Seiya Scott is managed by um, Sergei Fedorov, uh, by the way. Name drop. The good casual. Um, he, <laughs> it, that team, it was their time last season, and they're they're anchored by Kirill Kaprizov, who is just an absolutely unbelievable talent who we're probably going to see in the NHL for Minnesota next season. Um, Fifth-round draft pick. I think I looked that up earlier today. But I didn't yeah, know. Anything about it. I didn't know if he was like a brand name, so I didn't mention him. I think he was fifth round, uh, and he's, he's a little bit older, isn't he, or no? He's 22. Okay. Um, 30 goals last season, topped uh, Datsuk and Dawes. So you know, big deal. He was. I go Dawes by the way. Whoa, where did that come from? New York Ranger. He never really put the puck in, and then he goes over the KHL and he dominates. Said he literally said in the interview, he's like, if you could have told me I'd be drafted by the Rangers and become a cult figure in Kazakhstan, I would have asked what you were smoking. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, it's just absurd. Yeah. Absurd, yeah, he's killing it, and he's a big he's a big fan favorite. Just leads the expats usually, generally. But Kirill Kaprizov is a standout. He scored the game winning goal in overtime to win to clinch the Olympics for Russia. Um, he's killing it this season. He had an absolutely masterful game against Spartak, another Moscow team, where he scored a hat trick. Go back and watch some recaps of that. He is a really big factor. I think Seiya Scott could take it again. Again, Scott has a great team this season. I'm going to argue that it'll come down to the two of them. The other is Avangard Omsk, coached by Bob Hartley. He coached the Avalanche when they won the Stanley Cup. Um, that is another team that's attracting top-tier talent because of him and because of the amazing you know, system that he's put into place. They're the guys that moved from Siberia to Moscow. So between those three teams, it's probably going to come down to some mix of them, and I think Seiya Scott could, could take it again. Okay. They don't look yeah. as dominant as they did last season. They only dropped nine last season. Um, they don't look as dominant this season. It's more of an open field, but I would probably put it behind them. If you had to pick like a dark horse, like a team that people wouldn't really expect to win, is there a team that you could see, oh, maybe maybe that could happen? <sighs> There's this totally bizarre front runner right now called Vityaz, which is in the Moscow region. This is a team that you would have not even looked at twice last season, and then they went on this absolute tear early this season. They're still doing pretty well. They've dropped a little bit. I'm going to guess they're going to fizzle, but if that were to happen, that would be kind of like a Leicester City winning the Premier oh. League. That's, oh, wow. Or, or the St. Louis Blues winning winning the Stanley Cup. Now, they weren't in last place, but they, they kind of languished toward the bottom in recent years. That would be really interesting. The KHL is usually on lockup pretty... You can kind of sense it pretty early on, but I don't know. I think it's going to be a say a Scott or Scott year once again. Let's see if I'm wrong. Avangard would be cool. 
right. Well, Julian, thank you for hopping on. I really appreciate it. I'm hoping that we can get you on at some point, you know, as the season goes on. I think that'd be fun. I learned so much. I'll have to do some more research on my KHL, maybe check out some highlights. If you guys don't follow her, follow her on Twitter. It's at Julian Kemmerer. That's G-I-L-L-I-A-N-K-E-M-M-E-R-E-R. Don't forget the last E-R. Um, Got it. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. I actually, great time, and I really hope that we can have you back again. Would love to come back. Thanks for having me. Next time I want an invitation to ride the horse at your house. That's Absolutely. You totally can. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Bout to have a parking lot on smash Plus I got a 7 with a 454 in the hood That bitch got 125 on the dash I'm the biggest boss that you seen thus far I'm the, I'm the biggest boss that you seen thus far I'm the biggest boss that you seen thus far Cause it's just another day in the life of the goddamn boss I don't make love, baby we make magic Come home with a thug, let's get shit cracking Always well, baby cause shit happens She leave the back seat just a freak in the magnum Hopped out the Magnum, hopped in the tray Just to let the top back and thank God for the day Who gives a fuck what a hater gotta say I made a couple million dollars last year dealing with Still in the streets, strapped with them things She in love with a G, so she tatted my name I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far Ten black made backs, back to back in the lane I'ma make it rain, then I'ma make it back You are just a lame, little homie, that's a fact Working with the police, acting like you know me Fresh out of jail already in your OG Got a fresh line up, get a fresh outfit Bout to have a parking lot on smash Plus I got a 7 with a 4, 54 in the hood That bitch got 125 on the dash